Esteemed colleagues, here we are continuing with surgery for the USMLE Step 2 and uh, based on Dr. Adam Brochet's book Crush Step 2, the ultimate USMLE Step 2 review. We're moving on to vascular surgery now. Vascular surgery. Uh, pulsatile abdominal mass. What does that make you think of? That's right, triple A, the abdominal aortic aneurysm. Um, could be painful, could be not painful. What are you going to do to evaluate? CT with IV contrast because uh, you're putting it directly into the vessel and if there is um, if there's an aneurysm, it'll certainly show up. And if there's a dissection, which we'll talk about later, it'll certainly show up in the media of the vessel itself. Um, if they're symptomatic, again, CT with IV contrast, you could do an ultrasound in asymptomatic patients with a pulsatile mass, and you have reason to believe that they could have a AAA. All right. What's the magic number for AAA? Five centimeters. If it's less than that, not leaking, not ruptured, obviously, then you can follow it with serial ultrasounds just to make sure it's not enlarging. Now I said obviously about the leaking or ruptured because if it's leaking or ruptured, you've got to do something about it. If the, if the AAA is larger than five centimeters, or you're told it's rapidly enlarging, evidence of a leak or rupture, then you're going to have to do surgical correction, either open or endovascular. Now, endovascular, I'm thinking, is going in from a major vessel with a tube and tracing it up to the point where you need to be within the vasculature and working from within the vessel. I think that's what endovascular means. Again, vascular surgery is not a clerkship, I, not a rotation I did on my surgery clerkship, so can't speak with, uh, with any authority at all, really. Okay, so um, what else? What else do you need to know about AAA? Pulsatile abdominal mass plus hypotension equals a rapid tweet. <laughs> A rapid trip to the OR suite. Rapid trip to the OR suite. Um, we're talking ruptured AAA. We're talking mortality rate of 90%. Um, if there's time, see to your ultrasound. But don't waste any time on it. Go in, get it done. So AAA. Um, asymptomatic ultrasound. CT with contrast. Um, the magic number is 5 centimeters. If it's less than 5 centimeters, not leaking, not ruptured, follow it with serial ultrasounds, right? If it's 5 centimeters, greater than 5 centimeters, enlarging, there's evidence of leak or rupture, you're going to do open or endovascular surgery. All right. What, um, what chief complaints are going to make you th 
put carotid stenosis at the top of your list. TIA. Amaurosis fugax, which I may be saying wrong, but I'll spell that for you. A-M-A-U-R-O-S-I-S-F-U-G-A-X. That is a transient, well, basically a, a transient ischemic attack of the, of the eye. Sudden onset, unilateral, transient blindness. Um, what else makes you do carotid, makes you think carotid stenosis? A carotid brewery, right? Um, if you hear a brewery, if the patient has a TIA, including amaurosis fugax, you want to do ultrasound, CT angio, MR angio of the carotid arteries, right? to find out the degree of stenosis. Alright, what's the cutoff point for carotid endarterectomy or not? What's the cutoff point? The magic number for carotid stenosis is 70%, right? So if the stenosis is greater than 70%, you're going to advise the patient to have a carotid endarterectomy. What's the risk of death? I don't remember if it's risk of I don't remember if it's risk of death or risk of uh, stroke and death, but it's five percent. the The risk of stroke and or death is five percent during the procedure of doing carotid endarterectomy, and the risk of um, stroke from carotid stenosis that is greater than 70% is 5%. So the reason you don't do carotid endarterectomy until your stenosis is at 70% is because the risk of surgery is going to be greater than your risk of sitting there and doing nothing about it. Well, not doing nothing about it, but doing no surgery about it. That's why 70%. Um, so... You can, you can either do carotid endarterectomy or, what's your other option? Endovascular carotid stenting. Yeah. And uh, you can do these whether the patient is asymptomatic or has had a TIA or amaurosis fugax or a small non-disabling stroke. Okay? That's when you would do it. Um, CEA has the best long-term prognosis. You should not undergo CEA if the patient has had a stroke that has been severely disabling, nor should they do it if they're, if they're in TIA or, or suffering from a stroke right now. In other words, you're not going to run to the operating room and do a carotid endarterectomy. This is an elective surgery done controlled, right? Um, the reason you don't do it in someone who's already had a disabling stroke, they're already disabled, and so you've already, you've already, your risk has already hit, and um, it's not, the benefits of doing a C CEA have already been lost. It's too late. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. 
So let's say stenosis is less than 50%. Don't do a CEA, of course. What's your, what's your treatment of choice? Daily aspirin. Daily aspirin. You may do uh, CEA if in in if the if the chronic stenosis is fifty to sixty nine percent, if there are um, some particular circumstances, and that is um, stuttering, recurrent TIAs that are not responding to. Ma medical management, maximal medical management. So if you've got stuttering TIAs, it's like, hey, I'm a stroke waiting to happen. And even though my, my uh, stenosis is, uh, is not 70%, it's time. It's time. All right, and there's a picture. There are a couple of pictures here of atherosclerotic plaques in the uh, carotid vessels. Um, and it's, it just shows a narrowing. So there it is. And that brings me to the point that carotid uh, stenosis is a marker for generalized atherosclerosis, right? Um, virtually all patients who have carotid stenosis also have what? Coronary artery disease, right? Yeah. Um, what is the most common cause of death for uh, vascular surgery or related to perioperative related to vascular surgery? MI, perioperative MI. So you be sure, you be sure to evaluate risk factors for atherosclerosis um, before doing surgery. Okay? Just by way of review, since we're talking about atherosclerosis, what are risk factors for coronary heart disease? Age or gender. If it's a man, 45 or older. If it's a woman, 55 or older. Count either man or age greater than 45, not both. Okay, so either or, one risk factor. What else? Family history of premature uh, coronary heart disease. Premature being what? Male younger than 55. Female younger than 65. What's another risk factor for coronary heart disease? Current smoking, 10 cigarettes or more a day. What else? Hypertension. Hypertension greater than 140 over 90. What else? Low HDL, meaning HDL, high-density lipoprote high lipoprotein that's less than 40 mg per deciliter. That's a risk factor for coronary heart disease. What else? Diabetes. Diabetes in and of itself is a risk factor. So again, risk factors for coronary heart disease, age, family history, smoking, hypertension, HDL, diabetes. Um... And there you have it. How are you going to manage these? If you know you use LDL as your marker, and depending on the number of risk factors you have, you're going to either do nothing, you're going to do diet plus medications, 
right? Or you're going to do medications strong now and then uh, also diet. Okay, what kind of medications are we talking about? Niacin, cholestyramine, cholecevalam, statins, ezetimibine. All right, niacin, and then the uh, bile acid binding resins, which are cholestyramine and cholecevalam. And then the HMG-CoA reductase, inhib uh, reductase inhibitors, which are the statins. And the EZ-TIMA-B, which blocks cholesterol absorption. So, uh, and then, the, of course, the, the diet bit is, you know, exercise, change your diet, low cholesterol, low fat, no smoking, decrease your ETOH. So that's just a mini cholesterol review embedded in this atherosclerotic chat. Speaking of athero atherosclerosis, what's it called when uh, someone gets pain in their lower extremities after walking a few blocks or going up a few flights of stairs? What's that called? Claudication. Claudication. And it's an indicator of what? Severe atherosclerotic disease. Right. Um, what other physical findings might you have? Atrophy, cyanosis, shiny skin, um, thick nails, loss of hair, cooler uh, extremity, decreased or diminished uh, distal pulses, right? So again, patient comes in, Sounds like they've got claudication of the lower extremities. What are you going to look for? You're going to check the pulses. They might be diminished. Uh, there might be cyanosis. There might be thickened nails. There might be loss of hair. The skin might be shiny. Uh, might have a little bit of atrophy, right? Small calves. What's your best treatment for claudication? Huh? Cholesterol management. Stop smoking. Exercise. Manage your diabetes and your hypertension. Okay. There's a there's a controversial there's not a controversy. It's just the risk benefit analysis is tricky for one particular drug with claudication. And what's that? What drug is that? We're talking beta blocker because it has benefit, right, for MI patients, uh, for angina patients. But it has detriment for claudication. Yeah? It could worsen claudication. So, so there's that. Um, let's say that the claudication progresses. So that it's resting um, pain now. It's at night, but they have to wake up and hang their bed over the hang their foot over the edge of the bed. Yeah? Then we're talking revascularization procedure. And what's the risk of revascularization procedure? Compartment syndrome. All right, let's talk about the, the lower leg pain again, but this is, this is different though. This is a different patient, and this time it's sudden onset. Sudden onset, yeah? No previous history, no trauma, none of the chronic physical, fi physical findings I mentioned. What's going on? 
What's going on? Emulous. Yeah? Embolus. Like a popliteal artery embolus? That the patient may have what? AFib. Yeah? Left AFib, right? Straight down, gets stuck in the popliteal artery. Um, and if they had revascularization, they could have um, a compartment syndrome going on. What about what about the foot now? What if it's sudden onset, no previous history or trauma? Oh, I just I just did that. Sorry, just did that. What and what are uh, claudication and peripheral vascular disease markers of? I already said this atherosclerosis, right? And so the atherosclerotic risk factors again: age, gender, hypertension, HDL, smoking. What did I forget? Family history and diabetes. There you have it. Alright folks, one more for vascular surgery coming up. Alright, vascular surgery part two. It's, uh, it's still 15th of July and we are hammering some out, aren't we? Um, remember claudication in the buttocks, buttock atrophy, and impotence. What is that? Lerich's syndrome. L-E-R-I-C-H-E apostrophe S. It's a marker for what? Aortoiliac occlusive disease. That's right. And what are you going to have to do? Aortoiliac bypass graft. Stent endograft. I had a patient, actually uh, our cadaver had um, a couple of coronary bypasses, had a uh, an erectile dysfunction pump, and had an aortoiliac bypass graft. So you could see sort of the classic picture for major atherosclerotic disease after the fact. Alright, patient presents with a long history of postprandial abdominal pain. And it's not the kind of right upper quadrant colicky pain that goes with gallbladder disease. No. It's the kind that um, makes him so scared of eating that he's losing weight dramatically. And so naturally on your differential is going to be cancer. This weight loss thing, weight loss is uh, triggering, triggering you to think cancer. But then he's got the postprandial pain going on. Um, what are you thinking about? Mesenteric ischemia. That's right. It's a difficult diagnosis. Um, it occurs in patients older than 40, right? And they may have other disorders. It could, you know, what else is on your differential? Peptic ulcer disease, gallbladder disease, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, yeah. But um, other signs of atherosclerosis would make you think, oh, that would make sense if he had mesenteric ischemia, right? So other signs would be MI.
angina, yeah, CVAs, uh, peripheral vascular disease, claudication, maybe an abdominal brewery, yeah, no jaundice, so tips you away from the pancreatic cancer. Okay, is CT scan going to um, show you anything? It may, it may show some thickening of bowel wall. It may show some atherosclerosis on CT. You'd have to have a trained eye, like Dr. Brochet does, or you'd have to have, um, you know, give a hint so that they, you know, you're kind of looking for that. Um, what arteries are affected? Mesenteric, right. How are you going to diagnose it? I would think conventional angiogram. CT, MR, or conventional angiogram. And treat how? Revascularization. Um, because you don't want you know, bowel infarction and malnutrition. Okay. I would think that's got to be really severe atherosclerosis because you know how how um, intensely anastomotic all of the the bowel vessels are. Anyway, here's something unique that I don't remember hearing about before. So uh, you're exercising and um, you faint, yeah, and your arm hurts your left arm. What are these clues to? These are clues to something called subclavian steel syndrome. And it's not the steel that metal is. It's the steel that thieves do. Subclavian steel syndrome. So what's going on is um, a left subclavian artery obstruction. Proximal proximal to the vertebral artery. Okay, so what's going on is you're exercising the arm and instead of blood going up the vertebral arteries into the basilar artery, it's being sucked into the left subclavian, right? It flows backward into the distal subclavian artery instead of forward into the brainstem. So that explains why you're getting the CNS effects uh, like Hello, like, syncope, vertigo, confusion, dysarthria, ataxia, um, and the claudication because it's not the amount of blood that it, it really needs. Okay, how are you going to treat that? Some angioplasty, put a stent in, um, maybe a surgical bypass. All right, we've only got a few more points to make. Um, uh, under the, the heading of vascular surgery. Let's talk about two major um, circumstances under which you would see aortic dissection. Hypertension, Marfan's disease, Marfan's syndrome. Okay, and what's going on? You've got a splitting of the layers in the wall of the aorta, and you get blood coming out, not all the way out of the vessel, no, because then you'd die, but um, vessel leaking in between the layers of the aorta. So what kind of um, test are you going to do?
CT with IV contrast. Right. There are different types. <coughs> it could be ascending aorta. Yeah. It could be um, just beyond the origin of the left subclavian artery in the isthmus of the aorta. Or proximal descending thoracic aorta. Uh-huh. Okay. So, in the ascending aorta, name three names of this uh, type of dissection. Stanford type A, DeBakey type 1 and 2. What's your treatment if it's in the ascending aorta? If it's a Stanford type A or a DeBakey 1 or 2, you're going straight to surgery. Okay, so just think, um, let's say it doesn't tell you in the, in the test, in the question stem, it doesn't tell you where it is. It just says, um, patient, you are told that the patient has a Stanford type A or a DeBakey type 1 or 2 aortic and aortic dissection. Your immediate, your course of action is what? The correct answer is immediate trip to the OR. Just think that the two surgeons in there, the two neurovascular surgeons in there, are named Stanford and DeBakey, and they're waiting for you. 5% uh, of patients will survive one year, out, one year without surgery. All right. Now, if this dissection in the aorta is sparing the ascending aorta, right? So now it's usually starting just uh, after the origin of the left subclavian in the isthmus of the aorta or the proximal descending thoracic aorta and extending over a variable distance in the aorta. You're going to manage it with what? Medically. Antihypertensives. Assuming there are no signs of impending rupture like um, an aneurysm greater than five greater than five centimeters, or a change in aneurysm size, a rapid change, and assuming no end organ ischemia from vascular compromise. Okay, that's aortic dissection. So um, classically, it's a, described as a tearing or ripping chest pain radiating to the back. Okay, that's different than a crushing chest pain uh, radiating to the arm or jaw, isn't it? Very good. Let's say patient has right upper arm numbness, weakness, and uh, the arm feels colder than the other arm and there is edema and it's swollen, the arm is purple. But the patient does not have the uh, syncope, the vertigo, the ataxia, the dysarthria that was associated with the subclavian steel syndrome. What do you want to do? You know what I want to do? I want to do a chest x-ray. I want to see if this guy has a cervical rib. Yeah, that's what I want to do. 
an extra rib impinging on, I guess, the axillary artery or the subclavian artery. All right, that's what I want to do. All right, let's say the pain has, uh, the pain, the pain has patient veins. No, that was nonsense, wasn't it? Let's say the patient has uh, varicose veins, and you can feel a superficial cord-like induration. That could be a palpable clot, couldn't it? You might have some redness discoloration. The patient might even have a little bit of fever. And let's say uh, in a separate patient you, you can feel this cord-like induration in the cephalic vein of their right arm. And their, their arm is a little bit cool. It's uh, purplish and bigger. But they've got good pulses, good radial ulnar pulses, good capillary refill. Yeah. Um, is this patient at risk for pulmonary embolus? Not really. No. They've got thrombophlebitis, but this is superficial. This is not deep vein thrombosis. This is not a risk factor for pulmonary embolism. Okay? Now let's put a spin on this. A little spin. What if they have thrombophlebitis? And uh, it's in one location, and then two weeks later, it's in another location. And three weeks after that, it's in another location. What are you worried about? I'm worried that that's Trousseau's syndrome. And I'm worried that it might be a vascular malignancy. A vascular malignancy. How about that, huh? Um, I apologize. I said vascular malignancy naturally, but I meant visceral malignancy visceral malignancy. So migratory thrombophlebitis, visceral malignancy. Okay, back to um, superficial thrombophlebitis. What are you going to do to treat? NSAIDs. NSAIDs for the pain. Um, you could, if you want to, if you need to, you can do a thrombectomy with a local anesthetic. Just cut it out. Cut it out. Okay. Venous insufficiency generally refers to what? Lower extremities. Patient might have a, a history of what? DVTs. Swelling in those extremities with pain. Fatigability. Heaviness. Relief with elevation, varicose veins. And what are you going to see when you look at the skin around the ankles? You're going to see this, um, this uh, pigmentation, possible skin breakdown, possible ulceration, cellulitis, right? Um, I, I am sure that you have seen this on patients. It's a, a darkening of the skin, a rosening of the skin. I think I just made up another word. Um, so that's what you're going to see. Uh, what's your treatment initially? Compression stockings, that'll work. Elevation. Don't stand, don't stand very much. That'll work. 
What are you going to do with the ulcers? Wet to dry dressings, that'll work. Antibiotics, if, uh, if it's uh, cellulitis, that'll work. What's your antibiotic of choice in cellulitis? It's going to be dicloxacillin or methicillin, right? Because the organisms are streptococci and staphylococci. So you need an anti-staphylococcal penicillin, don't you? So dicloxacillin, methicillin. Dicloxa and metha. Dicloxa and metha for cellulitis. All right. And just a note to end this uh, vascular surgery topic. After a penetrating trauma in an extremity, an AV fistula or a pseudoaneurysm can result. This can also happen if you did a iatrogenic catheter damage. So look for bruise over the area or a palpable pulsatile mass. You can, uh, you can fix this if an AV fistula has, has occurred or a pseudoaneurysm has occurred. You can fi fix this doing open or endovascular surgery. Alright, that my friends is vascular surgery in a nutshell. What you might be thinking is next. Urology. Yet another surgical rotation that I have not done.